great to have you uh, here with us. Um, we've been going through a series called In Christ and uh, over the past few weeks, and today we'll be looking at who we are in Christ again, and this week is In Christ I Am Adopted. Uh, and it's amazing, isn't it, how that works. Um, so in Christ, I'm adopted. Um, and we've got a Bible passage um, uh, to help us unpack that. So it's Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 10. Um, Ephesians 1, 3 to 10. I'll be reading it. Uh, if you haven't got your Bible on you, um, then it'll be on the screen as well. So Ephesians 1, 3 to 10. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us into the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Let's pray. Hey, Lord God, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that throughout the history you've spoken to your people. We thank you for the Bible and we cherish it because it's your word. But we also thank you that you still speak to us today because you're alive. Uh, Lord, we thank you that as your people we can come together knowing that you lead us in all we do and say. So Holy Spirit, we pray that as we're unpacking the word, will you come and speak to our hearts? Will you uh, uh, sow the seed of the word of God into the hearts? Uh, of your people. We pray that you come and make us grow in the fullness of what God has for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, um, a wonderful passage from a wonderful part of the Bible, Ephesians. Um, but we need to put it in the context. Um, if um, you, your mind is uh, very politically correct, um, then you've realized that it says adoption as sons and not as children. If your Bible says adopted as children, then it's a dodgy version. Um, then, um, I'm not saying that because I was born in the Middle East and grew up there, uh, but it's because uh, I believe that the Bible is true and the Word of God, and we must um, preserve it and stick to what it says, even though it, if at points it doesn't feel politically correct or it may offend people. Um, well, the first time I really uh, read it and um, what really um, helped me in terms of really bowing down before Jesus was the fact that the Bible offended me. It told me that everything I knew was wrong. So if the Bible is offending you, then you're in the right place if you don't know Jesus. Right, a, a bit of a context. Um, you've heard the word identity crisis quite a lot. Um, we're familiar with it. You hear that um, quite often in, in the media. You hear that at church, in different places. But, and we've been hearing what God says about identity over the past few weeks in particular um, through the Bible passages that have been unpacked here. Um, however, it's not just a simple word. Um, today, it's about adoption. Now, if you put the word adopt and not adoption, just adopt in Google, it will come up with lots of suggestions. I thought I'll try it myself yesterday. So I went on Google and just put adopt A, and the first thing, obviously, because um, Google realized I live in the UK, the first thing was adopt a pet. And then um, you're a nation of pet lovers here. Um, 
and then it came, um, uh, there were a few other things. But what I realized was, on one of the websites, you could adopt animals. There was another website that you could adopt a rainforest. Now, I don't know why somebody would do that, but yeah, I'm all up for, in the, for the environment, but on one of the websites for animals, there was um, a leopard that you could adopt, there was a lion that you could adopt, there was even an elephant called Jubilee that you could adopt. How amazing is that? And I've got a couple of things in common with that elephant. Obviously, we both love the name Jubilee. And apparently, I've got the same appetite as hair. Because, um, yeah. um, so, what you could get is, if you adopt one of these uh, animals, um, you'd probably get a certificate to say, oh, you've adopted this animal or this part of the rainforest. You'd probably get a soft toy, a cuddly toy that you could probably keep that will remind you of this animal that you've adopted. Uh, you could get a photo, but what you don't get is a relationship. Uh, I could adopt this elephant, Jubilee, who lives in Sri Lanka, and I could travel all the way there. Hello, Jubilee, should we eat together? And she would probably look at me thinking, who is he? Because there's no relationship. There's bits and pieces of paper, there's the legal side of things, but there's no relationship. But that's not the adoption that the Bible talks about. Um, I remember when I was a child, there was a movie called Who Am I? You've probably seen it. Uh, and in this movie, there's this highly trained um, and skilled uh, military guy who goes on uh, an operation, and then somehow he falls off a tree, knocks his head on a stone, and then he loses his memory. He's in South Africa, so one of the tribes um, of people find him, uh, take him in, they tend to him, and then um, after a few days, he's okay, he wakes up, and they ask him in their own language, who are you? Obviously, he doesn't understand. And then he suddenly realizes, who am I? And they, they think it's his name. So he, they keep calling him, who am I? Who am I? Come here, let's play football. Who am I? Here's a bow and arrow. Who am I? So the name sticks on him. Um, it's who am I? And I believe that sometimes for some people, that is how life is. You think, who am I? Every day. You wake up, who am I? You're called who am I, because you don't really know who you are. People around you may know that as well, and they call you, who am I? But that's not what God uh, intends for us. I believe that God wants to break that cycle. We're not the people who should wake up every morning and think, who am I? But rather, we are the people that should wake up every morning knowing full well who we are in the light of who God is and for what we've been created for. It was amazing the passage that Raj brought right at the end about us being a holy nation. As we were praying with the ministry team, Jill brought this morning this very same passage about us being a holy nation, priesthood. And priests have a particular responsibility. Priests are not to wake up every morning and think, who am I? Am I this or that? Am I, am I really a priest? I'm not sure. But priests wake up every morning knowing that they've got a set of responsibilities, that there's a great thing that they have in terms of their relationship with God. And therefore, that's what the Bible says. It's not the sort of adoption that you may have in mind. Of course, there's quite a lot of similarities with the adoption uh, that we have in this nation at the moment in terms of human beings adopting children, uh, and we'll get to that. But the deepest and strongest foundation of adoption is found in the Bible. Now, it's funny that in the Old Testament, you can't really find the word adoption. Uh, the context is probably there. God takes the Israelites out of um, slavery in Egypt. God does call Israel his son, uh, but it's not until the New Testament that it is, this is called adoption. You can probably argue that Moses was adopted um, by uh, Pharaoh's um, 
sister. Uh, you can probably argue that Esther was also adopted. And there's a couple of other examples. However, it's not until the New Testament that the word actually comes and the terminology is used. In this passage, Paul refers to those who believe in Jesus, uh, not as just one person who was in the history, but as their everything, who, who love Jesus. In other words, Christians. Um, refers to them as the sons who have been adopted. But why sons and not children? Now, you may think that the terminology sons is a bit exclusive. You may think, oh, but I'm a woman and I don't like to be called son. And I'm not a son because I'm a woman and I can't be a son. You may think, well, it's just talking about men. But it's not. Let me tell you, I would not be happy if somebody calls me a bride. But the Bible does. <laughs> and I'm offended only for one reason. It's because I know uh, that I can't really bear the, the thought of going on diet for two months so I can fit into a wedding dress. <laughs> so I don't really like being called the bride. But the Bible calls me and everyone who believes in Jesus, the bride of Christ. How amazing is that? So that tells me that there's something into it. It's not just, yes, I'm a bride in a wedding dress with a bunch of flowers in my hand. There's symbolic things in there that we need to find out. The Bible chooses particular languages so that we can understand things in many different ways. The Bible uses the word sons so that we know who we are and what our status is. Paul uses this terminology. He's a Jew who's in love with Jesus, who's also a Roman citizen, who's, who also lives in a society that is highly influenced by Greek philosophy. So there's a mixture of things, but he uses that word. And just to, so to convince you that I'm telling you the truth, the Greek word for it is euthesia. So in preachers, when you use a Greek word, then everybody is convinced that you're telling the truth. Uh, not when you use the Bible uh, passage. Anyway, let me illustrate to you what it meant at the time when Paul said, you're adopted as sons, and the women around didn't get offended because they knew what he's talking about. Now, I need some people to help me. Dennis and Hurian, can I have you here, please? Right, yes, please. Yeah, if you do come forward. So, <laughs> right, so, this is a couple, let's say it's year 40 AD. Some of you may remember what the weather like, was like at that, yeah, that time of year. Uh, 40 AD. So this is Augustus and Cecilia. Uh, they're servants in a big, big household and they have quite a few children. Uh, but they've been servants because they were born into a family that were servants and therefore this is what they did. They remained loyal to their master and they had children, and their children were predestined to become servants as well. So all their children would be serving their master. Now, if I could have Paul and Jill, please, if you come forward. So, if you just stand there. So this is Cassius in the Roman time, again, the same year, and this is Florentina. And <laughs> they're very wealthy people. They're the masters of Augustus and Sicilia. Uh, wealthy. <laughs> you wouldn't dare say, Dennis, will you do this or do that? <laughs> but anyway. Uh, and they've been married for quite a few years, but they don't have any children. So what they think is, mm, we can't have our natural born children, we can't have biological children, but let's adopt a child. And when you talk about a child, immediately it's a son. So let's go and find a son. Where do we go? The first place they look at is 
their servants' household. So they come to Augustus and Sicilia and say, we want one of your sons and we want to adopt him. Now, if I could have Yafet, will you come forward, please? Yeah. <laughs> I could see him hiding himself there thinking I can't see him. <laughs> Josh will be glad. <laughs> right. So, this is Maximus. And <laughs> Indeed. Uh, I've got the shape of Maximus, but he's got the name. So, um, in Gladiator. So, Maximus is the firstborn son. And... They come and say, will you give us your firstborn son because uh, we'd like to adopt him. Now, Augustus and Cecilia immediately say yes. And I'll tell you why. Because they know that once Maximus is adopted, he's not a slave anymore. Because what happens is, when Maximus goes over there to that family, he inherits everything that they have and becomes their son, just like a natural born son. Now, come back with me for a second. Come back here. What happens is, in the Roman uh, court, they go before a Roman court, and the judge stands there and says, will you give your son to them? You say yes. He goes over there. But that takes place three times. And no wonder when you offer something to our Middle Eastern friends, they say no the first time, and no the second time, but the third time they take it. So there's something historical in it. So the first time, the second time, and the third time, and then... Cassius passes some money over to Augustus and says, here you go. That's the price for your son. Now, Maximus has been liberated. He's no longer a slave. He's no longer serving someone. But he has a relationship with someone. He's no longer somebody who'd be thinking, I'm going to be doing this all my life. But rather he'd be thinking, my father's rich and I'd better stop planning for the future and see what I can do with the business. I better start thinking just like my father does because he'd be expecting me to take things forward when he's not around. I'm responsible. Now I've got the same status as my father has. You can all go and sit down. Thank you so much. Can I have my money back, please? Thank you. Brilliant. This is great. Thank you so much. So the act of adoption is not simply just moving someone from one family to another, but it's a greater act. It's liberating someone. It's setting someone free. And what Paul says in here is that we've been adopted as sons because, we take, because sons would take all the inheritance, as it is the case with many cultures here, including my own culture, that the son, especially the firstborn son, would get the majority of the inheritance. In the culture at the time, the son would take everything. He would inherit everything that the family had. Now, how does this relate to us? The Maximus coming from one family, going to another, and becoming rich. How does it relate to us? Now, the spiritual application um, is there. Let me use some Bible verses for you in here. Bible verses. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 5. Don't worry, it'll come on the screen. So it's Galatians chapter 4, where we read, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Romans 8:15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption 
as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. This is what the Bible says about those who are in Christ and who we are. Adoption was seriously planned. It wasn't something that, like Cassius, that we had in here, and Florentina thinking, oh, we can't have children, let's adopt a child. Or in case of some people who would have children and they would think, it's actually good to start thinking about having more children and maybe adopting a few more children. It wasn't like that. God didn't think, maybe I should think of something else. God didn't think, oh, I did that wrong, let me come up with another plan, and therefore adoption is... No, God, adoption was always plan A for God. It wasn't something that God came up with later on. It wasn't a second best plan. Your choice to adopt children may be a second sequence, but the adopted child is never a second class child. However, with God, adoption was always the first plan, and the adopted children will always have the right to call God the, their father, the God the Father. The son became slave, not Maximus that we had in here, but the natural son became a slave so that we may become adopted. Let me use a story for you so that you know how it applies to us today. There was a man called John Griffiths in 1937. You might have heard the story. He had a job and his job was to make sure that there's a bridge. As the ships come through, the bridge is lifted up. And then as the ships pass by, there's trains coming. He needs to make sure that the bridge is there so that the trains can go through and get to their destination. One day, his son comes and says, Daddy, I want to come to work with you. And he says, all right, because it was 1937, and perhaps the laws at the time were a bit different. So he takes his son to work, and they're all enjoying the work. It's lunchtime, my favorite time of day. And they go off to a place a bit further away. They sit down on the grass, and they start having their sandwiches. They eat together, and John is telling his son about his work and what, what he does and what that is and how it all works, just like fathers do. Then he realizes that he's seven minutes late. He hears the train coming through, and here he is a bit late with his son. So what he thinks is, he tells his son, will you stay here? I'm going to go and make sure that people on the train can get through, and then I'll come back to you. He runs off to, back to, to the room where all the controls are and he gets there in good timing because he can see the train coming through. But what he realizes is that his son is down there with his feet stuck. The son didn't really listen to the father because he started following his father back to the control room. He was stuck there. So if it pulled the lever, his son would die and 400 people on the train would get through. If he didn't, 400 people on the train would probably die, or most of them would die, but he'd be able to save his son. John, at the end, made a decision. He pulled the lever so that his son would be sacrificed, so that 400 other people on the train would just get by. Now, those people didn't really know what had just taken place. So as the train was passing by, John saw people, businessmen sitting down there doing their work. Um, there were all the ladies having afternoon tea, children playing in the train, and he was thinking, don't they understand? I just gave my son for them. Now, this could be true in the case of many of us. Don't you understand that God gave his one and only son? And again, there's similarities in the story here. It wasn't an accident that Jesus went on the cross and got thought, well, I've got no other choice, let him die there. It was planned and seriously planned right from the first moment. 
the plan was for the Son to obey the Father, die on the cross, so that the price could be paid. The price is not just some pans and pences in here. The price was Jesus' blood that was shed for us so that as we're going on with life, we look down and we see he actually died, the son died. What you can't do is just pass on the train and think, well, it's got nothing to do with me. You've got to make a decision. You've got to realize Jesus, the son who died on the cross as the son of God, or else, what about your eternity? Let's carry on. Adoption is generally from very bad situations. Um, we have ch- uh, p- people here who have been adopted when they were children, and people who have adopted children. And sometimes with adoption, it's um, that the child would come from a situation that's probably not very pleasant, um, through no fault of their own, or maybe even people around them, but it just happens to be the situation, to a better situation. God had planned that for us so that we come out of darkness to something better, something that no one else can give. God looked at us the first time and he didn't really see a cute child looking at him, smiling, a child that had been left abandoned, uh, thinking, oh, this child's amazing. Let me have him or her and adopt them. God looked at us and he saw corruption. God looks at us and he saw deprivation of spirit. God looked at us and he saw sin and darkness in there. And you know what? God looked at us and he was angry, a righteous anger. But yet he still decided to adopt us. Because it's only through that that we can come out of darkness. God himself was angry, but it was God himself who gave his son for us. Now, we think about adoption, we've talked about adoption, and what an honor it is to be adopted. What an honor it is to be adopted in the family of God. That we weren't just great people that God thought, oh, these are brilliant, these are all really, really good people, let me have them. No, perhaps for many of us, we're still struggling in life, and perhaps many of us wouldn't even think that we were the best people for God to adopt us. But he decided to do that. What we need to do is we need to guard this adoptive status. We need to make sure that as we honor this adoption, we also guard it. I felt as I was preparing for this that there were lots of orphans in the room. Lots of orphans who may even know Christ as their savior, but you know God as your master. You don't really have that sort of relationship with him. No, with adoption, you're given a father. It's not just that piece of paper. If you've adopted a child or if you've been adopted, um, I'm sure you've never gone to look into the papers and say, is this my mom and dad? Um, yes, I'm adopted by them. But there's a spelling mistake here in their name, so I couldn't really be adopted by them. Because, no, you don't look at a piece of paper. Of course, the legal side of things are great, but it's the relationship. You look at your parents and you see a mother and father. If you've adopted children, you don't go and look into the papers to think, did I really do that? What date did that happen? 
I actually need more evidence. I'm quite, not quite sure whether that's taken place. But you look at your child or children and you love them and you know that they are your children and there's that relationship there. But with many Christians, sometimes you don't walk into the fullness of what God has for you. You don't walk in the fullness of being a child of God. You don't walk in that light that God has for you. And I'll tell you what, you can't grow in sonship unless you grow in holiness. And I'm not being legalistic in here that you've got to be more holy and therefore you'd feel closer to God. Holiness is walking with God. You walk with Him more, you become more like Him. The more time you spend with Him, the more you hear His heart. The more time you spend with Him, the more you you want to become like Him. The more time you spend with Him, the more you really feel His heart for the lost. The more you spend with Him, the more you hear Him. So you can't grow in your sonship unless you grow in your holiness. And personal holiness is something that I feel that some people are struggling here in this room today. And that's why you feel that you're still orphans. If you're in Christ, you are adopted. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. If you're in Christ, you have been adopted. So walk like an adopted person. Walk like your inheritance is in heaven. The relationship is no longer a master and slave relationship. It's a father and son relationship. With a master, there is fear. With a master, you obey things because you have fear. With your father, there is relationship. You do things because you feel this is what the father has called you. With master and slave, there is bondage. There's chains around you. With father and son relationship, there is freedom. A master is usually a bit further away. He wouldn't get mixed with his slaves. A father would want to spend time with his son. A father is in the midst of his children. So if you feel that you're an orphan in this room, we'll have some time at the end for ministry. And it's nothing that we can give you. We can't make you a son. But we can pray to the one who has made you into one. And we can ask him to come and pour his spirit on you so that you know in the fullness of spirit that you are the sons of God. And you know what sons do? We read in the, chap- uh, in the passage from Romans, they cry, Abba, Father. I can't quite work out a, an English word for Abba. Because if you say Daddy, I've never heard a grown-up person call his dad Daddy. So it's a bit difficult uh, because of language barriers in there. But this is what it means, Dad, Abba. And it's not like a passive uh, very formal and cold saying, oh, Dad, or Daddy. It's not like, oh, hello, Dad. Um, it's crying with passion, calling Abba, my Dad, my Father, the one who made you into a son. The other reason I think that people still feel as orphans, although they're in Christ, is that sometimes our understanding of work and grace is a bit fragile. In the words of Philip Yancey, grace means, well, I'm paraphrasing him, just like Raj does paraphrase Jesus, um, and I love that, it's one of my favorite quotes, your wallet is where your heart reveals itself. Uh, Probably at the time of Jesus, they didn't even have wallets, uh, but 
it's fine. <laughs> uh, so grace is that there is nothing you can do to make God love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. You are who you are. However, that doesn't mean that you can walk in every single direction that you want to and be in the perfect will of God. So if you really don't understand grace, if you don't really know that you've been adopted and the price has been paid for you, you didn't do anything about it. You just came forward and say, yes, I am, I am up for adoption. If you think there is something you can do to quicken the process, if you think there is something you can do to make God love you more and give you a better status, you're wrong. That's not grace and that's not how God works. Let me remind you again, you can't grow in sonship unless you grow in holiness. For, for those of you who have children or maybe have grown up children, um, you've probably read bedtime stories for children. Um, you've read quite a lot of them and I'm sure amongst them there's prince and princesses. Um, so this prince came and did this and came and rescued that person or this princess was doing this and it's amazing. I was thinking of that and I think that's you and I. When, we, when we're telling bedtime stories to our children talking about prince and princesses, that's you and I. Do you recognize that you are the child of the king and therefore that makes you a prince and princess? So next time you have a bedtime story, talk about your own life and replace your name with the prince or princess and see how that works. Can you do that? Are you really, really confident that you can do that, calling yourself a prince? If you call God the Father Abba, then you are prince or princess. And this cry is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's not like the louder you shout, the better it is. No, it's a cry from our hearts that is stirred up by the presence of the Spirit of God. Now, those of you who are here and you think, well, I'm not a Christian yet and I think I like the sound of this, and, um, but I'm still unable to really call out Abba Father because... I don't really know what to do. I'm glad you asked because um, uh, I've got a solution for you. Um, you want to join the family and by that, I mean this family, the family of God, the church with capital C. Adoption brings transformation. If you really want to join the family, you will be transformed, not by your own power, but by the power of God through your will. You say, yes, I want that. If you want to become a child of God, you need to be led by the Spirit. You need to receive the Spirit of God. If you want to become a child of God, you've got to realize that the Son became a slave and died on the cross. And you need to realize that He didn't just stay there because He had no sin in Him, unlike you and I. Because He was perfect, He didn't stay there. They put Him in the tomb. Even the tomb itself couldn't hold him because he was perfect in the eyes of the Father. He rose again and he is alive. And if you believe in that and if you recognize Jesus as who he is, then you're a son of God. It's through the power of the Spirit that you can call out Abba Father. I believe some of us have been silenced by the lies of the enemy that we can't call out Abba Father. Is that you? today. You don't need to, look, to put your hand up. 
You've been silenced by the lies of the enemy. You can't really call out, Abba, Father. Today is the day for you to be released. Adoption was very costly for God, as it is for human beings when they adopt children, because it's costly. In many ways, it costs you quite a lot. The cost, again, wasn't in pounds and pences, but in blood. However, the invitation is here for you. Do you want to become an adopted son of the Most High? Do you want to be able to go to God and say, Father, rather than just thinking this great master that's created everything, but is so far and so distant from me that I wouldn't even dare go anywhere near him, that I've just got to listen to him and do what he says without even knowing what he wants me to do, without even knowing whether that's good or not, without even knowing, do I really want to do this in my heart, but I'll do it anyway because otherwise he'll be angry. Is that you today? If it is, we want to pray with you and for you. Can I ask the band to come up, please? We're going to have some time of ministry. We'll be praying in particular for those who still feel that they're orphans in spirit, for those who have made a transition from this family that is so dark and is not even a family into the light into a family whose head is God himself. You've probably made that transition. You've probably felt, yes, this is where I am because at so-and-so time I gave my life to Jesus. But you just don't feel the fullness of it. You don't feel that you're walking in the fullness of what God has for you. God adopted you to be sons, not orphans. And sons are never slaves. I want to encourage you to claim your inheritance and by that I'm not just saying oh I'll say to God I'll have this I want this and he'll give it to me no what he has for you is more than that if that's you will you please just stand aside on one of the sides now there is no shame or embarrassment in that uh, but we want to do that so that we know who wants to be prayed for if that's you if you could go to the sides please the next thing is if you feel battered if you feel You've really been battling along with it for a long, long time. If you feel, just as Anne said, you're not sure whereabouts you are, you're on the edge, you need a push, just a small push, I want to encourage you, just as Paul was saying, about faith and assurance. Have faith. Take this step, one step forward, and ask the Spirit of God to come over and lead you. I did that when I was 14 or 15, can't quite remember. It wasn't 40 AD, but it was a few years ago. And I've never regretted it. It took a lot for me as a young teenager to do that in a different society to here with lots of opposition. But there was something that told me, you've got to do this. You know it's true. If that's you, why don't you do that today? And receive the fullness of God. Can I ask us all to stand, please?